Now I'm going to, for the next few moments, share about an interaction in the Gospel of John that Jesus has between the Israelites. John relays this story to us in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Let me read the passage, and then I'll briefly pray, and we'll get rolling. Hear the word of the Lord. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free, set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you now and ask that you would do your work in all of our hearts and minds today. Lord, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, may you transform us by your word through Christ to live more like you, Jesus. I pray you'd speak today to our hearts. Whether, Lord, it's the first time or the hundredth time, we need you, Jesus. And it is through his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start off with a little bit of vulnerability for you. Uh, and, and maybe someone here can relate. Maybe, maybe you can track with me. There, there are many times in my life that I find I don't like being told what to do. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, right? Uh, if, you, if, if you can't, you need to ask somebody close to you because I bet they could tell you there's something, yes, that you don't like being told what to do. If I disagree or if I don't think it's reasonable or makes sense to me, then I have what I like to call selective rebellion. <clears throat> my, my dad's probably watching right now and he's probably saying, yes, Tim, you did, right? And you may be saying that that's not that vulnerable, right? Because realistically, we all have that. I guarantee there are rules or there are things that you're like, that makes no sense to me. It's stupid. I'm not going to follow it, right? It's like you go to a movie theater and they have that queue, but nobody's in it. You go around it. Well, but the queue's there for a reason. Well, no, that doesn't make sense. So you go around it. <clears throat> or uh, so my family and I, on Friday, we went to Carowinds for a little bit. I joined up with them and, and uh, they, uh, they were in line for bumper cars. And uh, I didn't want to get in line because I didn't want to cut the other people. But it's not really because I didn't want to cut other people. I just didn't want to be viewed as a cutter, right? <laughs> so realistically, I'm lumping us all into one big category. Do we like that? Probably not. But again, here's how I'll do it. If you have ever been a toddler, you've said, don't tell me what to do or I don't want to do that. We've all done it, right? So we know this idea of don't tell me what to do. And we get a glimpse of the same attitude, the same heart, the same mindset in the passage of Scripture here today with the people. See, Jesus was motivated by love, 
And he's willing to point the heart out. He's willing to, to push a little bit and to point out our selective rebellion. See, he's willing to point out the problem that you are not as free as you think you are. Well, I don't know about that. I'm not sure I agree with that one. But he goes a step further. The solution he provides is, I am the only one who can actually set you free. That, that point alone was enough to make the people angry. It makes sense that they wanted to kill him. How dare you tell us that we're not free? Even more, how dare you tell me that you are the only one who can possibly set me free? He makes a soul-exclusive claim here that the people back then ruffled their feathers with and that we today ruffle our feathers Either it's don't tell me I'm not free or don't tell me Jesus is the only way to freedom. But that's what he's saying here today. And, and this gets at the root of the problem found in all of us. I don't want to believe that I might not be free. I don't want to admit that I might not be free. I don't want to admit that I am denying the real problem that I am bound up that I am tied up, that I am enslaved to my selfishness, my sin. Now, for some of you, you may know that word. For some, that may be a new word. We can go all the way back to the garden to get a, a grasp and an understanding of what we mean when we talk about sin. Back in the garden... There's Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and, and, and God sets them free in the garden, and, and he says there, there's thousands of trees that they can choose to eat from. And he says, there's one that I don't want you to eat from. Has anybody ever said, don't push the red button, and you kind of want to push the red button? We're no different than Adam and Eve. They had thousands of trees to eat from, and there's one that he says, don't eat from that one. Do you hear it? Don't tell me what to do. And, and the tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that word in Hebrew, uh, think of it as determination. The tree to determine what is good and evil. At its core, Adam and Eve wanted to be the ones to declare what is right and wrong. Adam and Eve wanted to determine what is good and evil. They wanted to be in charge. Don't tell me what to do. See, sin is the willful, selective rebellion against God's ways. And our problem, our core, down to the very heart of it is, I don't like being told what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. And rather than admit the problem, this is what the people did in this passage, rather than admit the problem, we can so easily, so quickly, so simply, simply make excuses or we can shift the blame, or we can deny, deny, deny that there's any problem. And yet when left to ourselves, when left in the moments of loneliness and heartache and brokenness and emptiness in us and in relationships around us, sometimes we're given those for glimpses of you're not as free as you think 
you are. And, and, and sin, this is what he talks about in verse 34, like an addiction slowly binds us, slowly enslaves us, encouraging us and aiming us to, to deny the problem, to deny that there's actually a problem, that there's actually an issue, and it ultimately leads to death. This is what Jesus has come to free us from. He's come to free us from this bondage that, that we might have come to accept. We might have come to even love. We might have come to say, you know what, it's better this way. I'd rather be the king of my own little kingdom than give my life to him. Jesus reveals the seriousness of the problem. But here's the beauty of it all. He also provides the solution to the problem. By his coming, by his living, by his dying and rising again, he doesn't just name the problem, but he says, I've provided the answer and freed you by my life. In this passage, he talks about the freedom that we can have, that we can experience in him. He's talking about himself in these sentences, in these passages, which is a bold claim, by the way. Again, it makes sense why the leadership would want to kill him. It's a bold claim that he is saying, I'm the one that's going to set you free. You have a problem, and I'm the answer. He's more than just a good teacher, because here he's making a claim about himself. Consistently through the Gospel of John, if you've never read the Scriptures, I encourage you to start in John. But from the very beginning, you see some themes throughout John where Jesus is referred to as the Word, as life, as truth, as the Son of God. And so in these passages, he's talking about himself. Then you will know the truth. Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. And he's claiming elsewhere in, in John that he has the power and the authority to do that. Nobody else does. Earlier in John, it says that God gave him the right to make children of God, to make sons and daughters of God. That's why he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. A son belongs to the house forever. To believe in him is to let him come and set you free. In verse 31, some translations like we read today say, hold on to my teaching. The, the better translation is, abide in my word. Dwell in my word. Remain in me. He's saying, remain in me. Abide in me and you are my disciples. And you will know me and I will set you free. Freedom, true, deep, soul-quenching freedom is found in Jesus. Now, sometimes the church, capital C Church, gives wonderful glimpses of what that freedom is and what it looks like. But the church is full of sinners. And sometimes we struggle to believe it ourselves and share the freedom that we have in Jesus and we can be so quick to add footnotes, to add stipulations, rather than to simply bask and experience the freedom that he has come to give you. 
And so for a moment, let's lean in and experience the freedom that he has come to bring. The freedom that he has secured, finished in his resurrection. Today we celebrate Easter, right? If you didn't get that memo, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Every Sunday is at some level an Easter Sunday, a Resurrection Sunday. But today we celebrate specifically the fact that Jesus' bodily resurrection has secured for us eternal life and freedom. It turned the first century upside down. But we don't only celebrate that. We celebrate the freedom that we'll experience from this world, life after death. But we don't only celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that when he talks about freedom, he means here and now. Home is not just some place, some heavenly mansion in the afterlife, but a safe place right now in the midst of our anxious world. And that's what he's offering us. That's the freedom he brings. The author of Hebrews captures this very truth when he writes that Jesus sets free all those who had been held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Again, many of us have heard that freedom is, is, is not for license, is, is not a permission to self or lust or sin or for whatever I want. We're, we're quick to share that. We're quick to say what it isn't. Yet can we ponder for a little bit what it is? That in Christ, we have freedom from the fear of death. In Christ, we have freedom from the fear of life and freedom from the anxiety over our salvation. When he declared, it is finished, he meant it. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing you can do to ever lose what he did for you. This is the freedom that Christ brings This is what the early church was so willing to die for and even embraced fully the gifts of God through life. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, he was speaking into this freedom that we have. He was saying all of it can be for his glory. This is meant to bring joy This is meant to be a celebration for us, a a, a resting even that in the midst of the world, in the midst of what is going on around us, what the world throws at us, what's going on in our lives, we are free, free to be loved and to love, free to sing, free to dance. Steve Brown is a a Reformed pastor, writer, speaker, taught for years at Reformed Theological, uh, numerous seminaries, and he wrote a great book called A A Scandalous Freedom. And in it, he writes, Jesus invited us to a dance, and we've turned it into a march of soldiers, always checking to see if we're doing it right, and are we in step and in line with the other soldiers. We know a dance would be more fun, But we believe we must go through hell to get to heaven, so we keep marching. He goes on to write, I don't suggest that we start marching to a different drummer. I suggest that we aren't supposed to be marching at all. Today, I want to invite you to the dance. 
whether your first time or your hundredth time, to come to the one who brings true freedom, the one who brings life, the one who tells stories of heaven, angels celebrating when just one person admits, I've been enslaved, I've been in bondage, I've been giving into my selective rebellion. When just one person does that, heaven celebrates, sings and dances. In Luke 15, there's a story that Jesus begins telling because the leaders and the Pharisees were, were seeing that sinners and tax collectors were gathering around him. And it says that he was welcoming them and eating with them. And in the first century, to eat with someone was a, was a very big deal. To welcome someone to a table or be welcomed to a table was pretty close to acceptance. So the leaders are seeing this and they begin muttering to each other. And so Jesus tells these three stories. And these stories were told to the Pharisees, but he knew who was sitting around him. He knew who needed to hear these stories. He knew sinners and tax collectors were listening. And the first story he tells is about a lost sheep. This is a story that might be familiar to you. This might not be familiar to you. Maybe it's too familiar to some of us. So Jesus shares the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one wanders off. One gets lost. His count keeps coming up short every single time. 97, 98, 99. No, 97, 98, 90. I'm missing one. So, so it says, Jesus says that the shepherd heads out to find that one. Okay, we're tracking with that story. But he doesn't say in that story that he left the other 99 fenced in, guarded up, protected. What's interesting in that story, he says, he left the other sheep in the open country. The Greek is in the wilderness to go after one. That is a ridiculous story. They would have understood what he was saying. He had 99 perfectly good sheep. Why in the world would he risk the other 99 left out in the wilderness? If you don't, sheep are not the brightest animals in the animal kingdom. Any shepherd in that age would have known Wait, you, you said the wilderness. I'm hung on that word. I'm hung on that word that, that you, you left them in the wilderness to find one. He had 99 perfectly good sheep. He was willing to take the risk rather than leaving the one to die. They would have understood the risk and the cost of leaving the whole flock to find the one. And I think we can understand that too. Even from an economic sense, it doesn't make sense. I'm risking 99 perfectly good sheep that I could sell and make money off of to chase one down. That does not make sense. To our eyes, from our vantage point, that's risky. That's ridiculous. That's reckless. But from his perspective, he says, I'm coming after you. I 
believe there is at least one person here who needs to hear the words of Jesus saying, I'm looking for you. I've come to find you. I came and lived and died and rose again to bring you freedom. For you, do you hear him this morning? Or are you going to listen to that voice that says, don't tell me what to do? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. You are the 100th sheep that he's chasing down. I am the 100th sheep that he chased down. And he says, I've come to bring you freedom. I've come to bring you joy if you just abide in me. That's a ridiculous story, but thank God that he did that. Thank God that we can claim the promise. The Son has set us free, and we are free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be amazed that you, God, would so deeply love us that you'd willingly give up your son so that we might have life in you. Freedom in you. And not just in the age to come, but here and now. May we sing to you. May we praise you, our King. Lord, I pray for one person in this room. May look to you and declare you their risen King. Great is our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.